This morning, this evening, we're beginning a series through the life of David, a study in David's life. And I invite you to join me in 1 Samuel 16 this evening, if you're not there already. 1 Samuel 16, verses 1 to 13. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, this evening, we do rejoice in your grace. Even as we saw this morning in Ephesians 3, the grace of God to save even me. Even as we look at this passage this evening, the life of David, may we see the grace of God poured out on David for the good of his people. Heavenly Father, our prayer this evening is that you would work through your word in each and every one of our hearts and our lives. Encourage us, challenge us, change us for your glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I say David, we start talking about David, what comes to mind? I'm not talking about David, your, your friend. King David from the Bible. What comes to mind? David and Goliath. Do I? David and, Goliath. David and Goliath. That's probably one of the first things. In fact, that's a good idea. Throw out some other ones. What are some other ones? David and Jonathan. Friendship. Music. A man after God's own heart. Dancing before the Lord. Saul chased him. Shepherd. There are many, many, you could, we could keep going all night. There are many episodes from David's life that come to mind. Many of those were some of the ones that I wrote down. Maybe you think about the Psalms. You think of David, your mind just, they go to the Psalms. Maybe you think about David as shepherd. Maybe you think about David as king. Maybe you think about David and Goliath. Maybe you think about David and Bathsheba. That's an episode in David's life that is central. Maybe you think about the Davidic covenant, God's promises to Israel through David. Maybe you think about the fact that David is a man, he's called in scripture, a man after God's own heart. And as we launch into this study in David's life, we'll see all of those things. And yet something else that I think you'll notice pretty quickly is that David is a very flawed man. Yes, he is a man after God's own heart. And yes, God did some great things through David. And yet the story of David's life is not about how great David is. It's about the greatness and the faithfulness of the God of David. And that's what we'll see as we work our way through this. And it starts right here in the beginning. In this passage, the first time that David is mentioned in 1 Samuel. He's just a boy from Bethlehem. And we'll work our way through this passage. We'll see disappointment, obedience, and hope. 
First thing we see as we launch into 1 Samuel 16 is disappointment. And it may seem strange to start a series in the middle of a book, right? We're, we're jumping into the middle of the story. 1 Samuel 16. There's 16 chapters that have already happened. And that becomes clear here in verse 1, where it says, Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing that I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? I mean, right there, it's like, wow, we're jumping right into the middle of some conflict. There's something big that's going on here. Of course, most of you are probably familiar with the story. Saul, the people of Israel, demanded a king. Saul was the first king appointed. And yet he failed. In fact, as you work your way through 1 Samuel... There's a couple times where he fails. First time is in 1 Samuel 13, verses 1 to 15. Where Saul is waiting for Samuel to come to offer a sacrifice. His army is starting to, to get nervous. And so Saul takes things into his own hands. He doesn't wait for Samuel to come. He doesn't wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice that needs to be offered at Gilgal. Rather, Saul takes it into his own hands. He disobeys the Lord. He oversteps his bounds as king. And he acts as priest. It's a big deal. In fact, in verses 13 to 15 of chapter 13 of 1 Samuel... The Lord says to Saul at that time, through Samuel, your kingdom will not continue. You have disobeyed. And yet that's not the end of Saul's failings. In fact, just one chapter earlier from where we jump in here at 1 Samuel 16 and 1 Samuel 15, Saul once again disobeys the Lord as he goes into battle against the Amalekites and the Lord tells him through Samuel, as you go, I want you to wipe them out. Don't leave a single animal alive. They did not help my people as they came out of Egypt. They turned their backs on them. So wipe them out. Instead, Saul goes into battle. He has a victory, a very clear victory. Yet instead of obeying the Lord and completely giving the Amalekites over to destruction, he keeps King Agag alive. He saves all the valuable spoil for himself and for the people. In fact, when Samuel comes and he confronts Saul about this in 1 Samuel 17, Saul is bold enough to blame it on the people. As if that gets him off the hook as the leader. And once again, the Lord rejects him. From being king. In fact, Samuel has to do what Saul would not as he slays Agag. And there at the end of verse of chapter 15, and Samuel went to Ramah where he lived, and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Never, that death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. 
So as we pick up here in 1 Samuel 16, we are picking up in the midst of tragedy, of confusion, of failure, of disappointment. In fact, in verse 1, Samuel is still mourning, and the Lord says, How long will you mourn for Saul? I have rejected him. But I'm not done. I'm not done with my people. In fact, fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. That is good news. God is not done with his people. His promises still stand. So set aside your mourning, Samuel, and take up your horn with oil and go. He's going, as we see, to Jesse the Bethlehemite, to Bethlehem. This Jesse comes from a well-known family. In fact, his genealogy is given in Ruth 4, verses 18 to 22. Jesse is the grandson of Ruth and of Boaz. His great-grandmother is Rahab, as we see in Matthew 1, verses 5 to 6. And it's from this line that the Lord has provided himself a king among his sons. Notice the phrase there, what the Lord says, I have provided myself a king. Not you. It's a reminder that the king of Israel does not serve the people, but he serves the Lord. He is appointed by the Lord. He is the Lord's man. And so as we jump into this episode where we're going to be introduced to David, it begins with mourning. It begins with disappointment. It begins with failure. And yet in that failure, there's hope. There's promise. Take up your horn with oil and go. Yet notice Samuel's response in verse 2. As we see not only disappointment, but obedience. As we'll see, Samuel does obey the Lord. He does go. And yet note his response. Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. It's already a shocking response. You would think that, that Samuel would jump for joy and grab his horn and go. God is not done with his people. And yet his reaction here is not rejoicing over God's provision, but fear of Saul's reaction. I mean, already in this passage, we're starting to see hints of Saul's unhinged nature. Hints that will only come out all the more as we study David's life. He's an utter failure. And Saul, Samuel legitimately fears for his life. If Saul hears, he knows that the Lord has set him aside. But if he hears that I am going to anoint another king, my life is in danger. And yet note that the Lord gives Samuel, in the face of his fears, he gives him exactly what to do. Go and make a sacrifice to the Lord. Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. 
Samuel's ultimate allegiance here, and Samuel understands this, is not to Saul, it's to God. The Lord has called him to go. And so he takes up his horn and his oil. I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. That either of anoint, set aside, it symbolizes God's recognition or ordination of one to do his purpose. You are going to go to anoint this man to set him apart for my purposes. So Samuel did what the Lord said. He grabs his horn and his oil and he goes, and he goes to Bethlehem. One of the things you'll note as we study David's life, and these are purposeful, they're true, but all the connections between David and Jesus, they're both from Bethlehem. They're both shepherds. Jesus uses that illustration as the good shepherd. David is a shepherd. In fact, he will go on to be a shepherd called the shepherd of Israel. Coming from the same line. There's so much beautiful overlap here in Scripture. So Samuel goes to Bethlehem, where David and his family is. The elders' response here is interesting in verse 4. The elders of the town tremble at his coming, said, Do you come peaceably? Again, that connects back to the whole idea that, that we are jumping into the story at a troubled time in history. All the towns around probably know what the Lord has said about Saul. They've seen the rift and the relationship between Saul and Samuel. They know that Samuel himself took the sword and slayed the king that Saul refused to kill. It's as if they're viewing him not, not necessarily as a priest, but as a judge. Do you bring judgment? There's fear here. There's uncertainty in Israel. What is happening? Yeah, he comes peaceably, as we see in verse 5. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves. Join me in this. The idea of sanctify yourselves is to prepare yourself for worship. It involves a, a ritual washing, a cleaning of yourself, of your garments, of refraining from sexual activity, setting yourself apart for God, recognizing that this is a serious thing as we come to worship the Lord. There is purpose there. I think that's an interesting principle that we see throughout the Old Testament. Preparation to worship the Lord. That's not the main point in this passage, but it is something that we should think through. As we come to worship the Lord, do we come mindlessly? Or do we take time to prepare ourselves, to calm our minds, to focus on the truths? Not 
doing ceremonial washings or anything like that. But just preparing yourself to take seriously what it is that you are doing as you gather to worship the Lord. It's a big deal. It's a great privilege. So Samuel here invites them to join in this. Sanctify yourself. Set yourself apart for worship. Prepare yourself for this. And then come with me to the sacrifice. That he consecrated, set aside Jesse and his sons. He invited them specifically to the sacrifice. As the Lord had said. And they come. And so it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. You can almost picture it as they come walking over the, the hilltop, coming down to where the sacrifice is going to happen. And, and Saul, or Samuel, he's probably a little bit giddy. You know, he's a little bit excited. I'm about to meet the next guy that God has set apart to be king. This guy comes over the hill and oh, that is him. There's no way that's not him. Look at those muscles. He just he looks at him. Eliam must have been impressive. Surely this is the Lord's anointed. And yet we must also remember that Saul looked impressive. That's very clearly noted. He looked impressive. He stood above all the rest. And his good looks did little to overcome his bad heart. In fact, in, 13, in chapter 13, verse 14, as the Lord is chastising Saul and says, Your kingdom will not continue. He goes on to say that I have set apart a man that is after my own heart. That's what the Lord is after. He's already set him apart. He's already preparing him. In fact, the Lord reminds Samuel of that here in verse 7. Samuel is just taken aback. This has got to be him. Yet the Lord says, do not look at his appearance. Don't look at his physical stature. Because I've refused him. He's not the one. It's almost as if you, you can almost picture Samuel like, really? Are you sure? But the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at his outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He's already told him that's what he's after in chapter 13. A man after God's own heart. It's so easy to fall into that trap like Samuel, is it not? How well the Lord knows our own hearts. He knows how tempted we are to look at outward appearance. He knows how impressed we are. And he knows how hard we work to upkeep that outward appearance, knowing that. But brothers and sisters, it's the heart that matters. 
The Lord does not see as man sees. He does not look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Meditate on that. The Lord looks at the heart. You're here this evening, and we all look good. Brothers and sisters, can I tell you something? The Lord knows your heart. He doesn't care how good you look. It's not about the fact that you're here. The Lord knows your heart. So don't try to lie to him. Be honest with yourself. Even as we talked about this morning... In Ephesians chapter 3, responding to that gospel message, growing, rejoicing in the gospel. Because the Lord looks at the heart. It goes on here in verse 8, so Jesse called Abinadab. Eliab is not it. So we'll move on to the next son, Abinadab. He made him pass before Samuel and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass by Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. How tiresome and confusing this process must have been as man after man walks by. No. No. No, 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 no. Lord, what are you doing? But it helps to highlight that same truth, that the Lord does not look on the outside. He looks at the heart. He's not chasing what looks good. He's already set aside a man. He's already been working. He's already prepared him. It must have been confusing. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 11, Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the young men here? Jesse responds, there remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. There's one more. There's one more. Samuel has obeyed the Lord. Now he will rejoice in the hope. He's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. So he sent him and brought him in. And he was ruddy. The idea there is, something along the lines of, of red or uh, pale skin. He, he stands out. He looks a little bit different. And yet at the same time, he has bright eyes and he is good looking. He's good looking. Unlike Saul, he's not chosen because of his good looks, but he is good looking. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him. For this is the one. 
Again here, we are reminded that the Lord's ways are not our ways. He doesn't choose the the strongest, the most impressive. It's the youngest. The one who even his family overlooked, the Lord saw and knew and loved and chose. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David. We'll see as we keep going. In a few weeks, Lord willing, the Spirit of the Lord leaves Saul at this point as the Lord has set him aside. This is not... What we think of as the spirit indwelling, this is not regeneration. Rather, it is empowerment. It is the spirit filling David, empowering and setting David apart for the task that he has been called to. In fact, this is the first time in verse 13 where we see the name David. The spirit of the Lord came upon David. It's a name that means beloved. Samuel rose and went to Ramah. He went home. It's a simple passage. It's a passage that we've all, many of us, if you've grown up in church, you've heard this story of David being past all his brothers and and, and man after man after man and then finally it's the youngest out watching sheep. It's a testimony to the grace of God to the purposes of God, to the faithfulness of God. He knew his man. He had chosen his man. He was preparing him. And this little shepherd boy would go on by the grace of God to become the shepherd of Israel. Through his line would come Messiah, Jesus Christ. The one who will bring his kingdom and who will rule. And it starts here in 1 Samuel 16 with just a simple boy from Bethlehem. Out mending sheep. But the Lord sees him. The Lord knows him. The Lord has chosen him. Just a quick introduction as we are going to jump our way into this series. As we work our way through, we will go on to see Even as we see here that David is a flawed man, but he serves a great and a faithful God. The story of David is a story of the grace of God. Let that encourage you. David's not great because he did great things. In fact, if David were brought before you to be pastor, he would not qualify. But he's a great man by the grace of God. God did amazing things through him. And so we are going to work our way through this. One of the ways, one of the things I'm excited about is studying David. We've been studying the Psalms on Wednesdays. And uh, the Psalms, many of them written by David, it's really a, a glimpse into his heart and his soul as he pours it out before the Lord. So it's going to be exciting now to study the man. Who is this man who wrote these psalms? 
Who is this man through whom God did these great things? So we're going to close our service this morning, this evening, meditating on that grace of God. Grace unmeasured, vast and free. So I invite you to stand together as we sing Grace Unmeasured. <laughs>